Today on Broadway for Wednesday, July 12th, 2017, I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway Star's James Marino. James, it's hump day. I'm so confused on what day everything is since I was on vacation last week, but I think we're halfway through. Uh, we are halfway through, so uh, congratulations to everyone for making it halfway through <laughs> the post-4th of July week. All right. Awesome. Let's get into the news here. Yesterday, it was reported that the Stephen Schwartz, Winnie Holtzman musical Wicked had passed Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera for second place all time on the Broadway grosses list. With $1.12 billion in grosses, Wicked is still behind only The Lion King at $1.38 billion. Wow. Rolling Stone's West End musical In the Works yesterday's The UK's Sun reported that producers are currently holding secret workshops secret for a potential jukebox musical with Rolling Stones songs. Since the band must approve the project before it moves forward, producers are actively trying to find the best talent possible before presenting it to them. I thought it was going to say before they died. Oh, damn it, James. <laughs> Moving forward before Mick Jagger sues us, yesterday, Grand Central Publishing announced that on November 21st of this year, they would be releasing the book Dear Evan Hansen, colon, Through the Window. Following in the footsteps of the Hamilton, also released by Grand Central, the book will include the behind-the-scenes story of how the show was created, as well as personal memories from those involved, photographs, unreleased lyrics, and the show's entire libretto. Hmm, Disney struggling to find stars for the live-action Aladdin. Uh, Yesterday, The Hollywood Reporter wrote that Disney and director Guy Ritchie are having difficulties finding stars of Middle Eastern or Indian descent. You know, all they couldn't cast this ten times over in Bollywood alone? Uh, Despite despite having auditioned around 2,000 actors and actresses from the central parts of Ohio, they have not yet found their Jasmine or Aladdin. I'm not exactly sure what Ohio has to do with any of that, James, but we're going to talk a little bit more about this story um, with my good friend, uh, Emmy Award winner and publicist Danny Durrani. We're going to talk about this whole uh, casting controversy with Aladdin a little bit more at the end of the show, so we will get back to that. However, in the meantime, uh, James, these are some uh, uh, pretty big numbers we're seeing from Wicked uh, coming out there. It's That's a pretty interesting story. I, I'm a little surprised by that. I'm not going to lie. I'd love to see some sort of interactive chart there on, because it, it seems to me, I guess the Gershwin is so much larger uh, uh, that they're just just pulling it in and catching up with everybody else because of the sheer numbers numbers in the Gershwin. Uh, well, which you know, I mean, Phantom's what, got Phantom's got a fifteen year head start on them, though. Yeah, but I, I wonder. I don't know off the top of my head what the, the differential between the uh, seating charts are, but you know, which used to be the big jinx of the Gershwin was that it was a big old barn and nothing could run in there because it was so mm-hmm. large. Has become the selling point of Wicked, uh, so that you can get far back enough so not to have your eardrum shattered by Alphaba. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and and then you know the other thing to kind of consider is is that even though the Phantom of the Opera does have a fifteen year head start, actually more than fifteen years, about fifteen and a half years head start on Wicked, you know the the whole era of of 
um, fluctuating prices of premium tickets. Um, that only has happened when both of those shows were running. So you have to wonder if between that and inflation, if all things were equal, how far ahead Phantom would be um, than there. I'd like to see an inflation adjusted chart to see how much this or something like um, a chorus line uh, would have done. Obviously, it didn't run as long as Phantom has, but I'd like to see where some of those things slotted in if the money was all equal. So according to the IBDB, uh, the Majestic Theater where Phantom's playing is 1,645 seats, and it says approximate. I'm not sure how. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Does t- Ticketmaster or Telecharts, you know, do they sometimes sell some seats and not others? Or is it, are seats fluid in the Majestic? And it says, oh, and the Gershwin Theater has 1,933 seats, so uh, about 300 seats more, and it also says mm-hmm. approximate there. So um, 300 seats, eight shows a week, um, 2,400 seats differential over the course of a year. That, that's a lot of, you know, that, that's a big, uh, that's an extra couple of performances yeah. every, uh, every week. Yep. All right. So, uh, yeah, and the Rolling Stones, I, I, had, I hadn't read this before we, we started. <laughs> so uh, I, I couldn't imagine how this was going to end. Uh, so, well, yeah. I mean, I guess they have to do approve everything, just like any uh, Broadway uh, uh, mm-hmm. lyricist and, and uh, composer would have to do as well. Well, what's interesting about this, James, is uh, first off, yes, you're right. We we told we told about talked about the story earlier this year that Cher had to approve the readings of the Cher show before it moved forward. But what's interesting about this story from the UK Sun is that they don't actually talk about a show. They talk about there being a work for a jukebox musical, but they don't say who's writing the book. They don't say what the plot is. They don't say who's directing it. So they're talking about workshops. But I'm starting to wonder, as I kind of read it a little bit more, it's pretty thin. Like, I wonder if they're just talking about trying to find actors and then build the show once they're in it. It was very odd the way that they talked about this show because they didn't actually mention a show. They just said a jukebox musical with Rolling Stones songs. They didn't actually talk about anything that had actually already been written. That's interesting uh, as well. But I think that if they're going to do a jukebox musical based upon the Stones, they're going to have to be looking for a Mick Jagger type and a Keith Richards type and oh, yeah. et cetera. Hmm. So the new book to chronicle Dear Evan Hansen's Road to Broadway um, – you know, uh, today was Amazon, or yesterday actually, on Tuesday was Amazon Prime Day, mm-hmm. and uh, they they were selling the Hamilton coffee table book. They on, were, and it, and it got sold out like at like eight in the morning. So, oh, did it? <laughs> yeah. So, did you see some? Did you see some of the other things that were on there? The uh, the big Les Mis and Phantom concerts uh, that they did. The big production anniversary oh, no, concerts were on DVD, that. as was Billy Elliot live and. Another one that sold out, James, the Cats Anniversary Production DVD uh, sold out very quickly. Our friend David Levy was quite upset about the fact that he wasn't able to purchase that before it was sold out. Um, So a bah humbug Amazon Prime Day for him. Mm. You never know how many actually they have. You know, to sell. It's true. <laughs> so back true. to Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, they're they're going to be having this new book, the Dear Evan Hansen Through the Window. Um, 
uh, Grand Central Publishing is doing this, and it's going to come out November 21st, just in time for the holiday season. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Yeah, this is this is something that I think you know could probably only be done with a handful of shows, but it makes sense with a show that is as big as anything has been um, in a while other than Hamilton um, to kind of follow in the the path that Hamilton plowed a year or so ago. So I think this is a, a good move, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some hits that had a bit of crossover appeal that had a fairly wide um, demographic outside of the normal Broadway community if they started doing things like this. We talked last week about Josh Groban doing his uh, coffee table book that's more pictures than than what this seems like it would be. But I think, you know, Broadway folks are literary folks. We're smart. We're educated. We, we know how to read. So I guess books and Broadway make sense. Hmm. I agree. I, I think that this is also another way to um, – since you can't get tickets to Dear Evan Hansen, you can't get tickets <laughs> to Hamilton. This is a nice gift to give a Broadway True. fan. So the uh, Disney story, um, as as you mentioned before, we're going to uh, talk with Danny at the very end. So let's skip this one and go right on to show and casting news. All right, perfect. Uh, James, tonight at movie theaters across the country, Lincoln Center's acclaimed revival of Bill Finn and James Lapine's falsettos begins its limited engagement. Depending on where you live will determine uh, at what theaters, when, and how often the film is screened. But there are many theaters nationwide showing the film. We will have a link to where you can find what theaters near you are screening it in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. So take a look there. And if perhaps in the disappointing off chance there are no theaters playing the film near you, don't be too upset. This will be the same version of Falsettos that will air on PBS later this year. So it just depends on if you're going to see it on a 50-foot screen or a 50-inch screen. In other show and casting news, on Tuesday, the Irish Repertory Theater announced that their fall 2017 main stage production will be the New York premiere of Brian Friel's The Home Place, directed by Charlotte Moore. The specific dates, cast, and the rest of the creative team will be announced at a later date. Friel, who passed away in 2015, is the Tony-winning Irish playwright of the fantastic play, one of my favorites, Dancing at Lunasa. And then finally in show and casting, James, yesterday, the Brooklyn ensemble, The Team, announced that's all in caps, T-E-A-M, announced that they would present Primer for a Failed Superpower, a two-night-only concert event featuring a multi-generational band of teenagers, team performers, and baby boomers, directed by the team's artistic director and Tony Award nominee and still criminally robbed that she didn't win, Rachel Chavkin. The concert will take place on August 22nd and 23rd at Roulette in Brooklyn. And uh, James, we've been very open about how much we've been impressed with what Rachel Chavkin does. I have no idea what this, uh, this show is going to be like, but... It talks about superpowers, which are things that I love. And it has Rachel Chavkin, someone that I have been very, very impressed with. So this sounds like a good time if you want to if somebody wants to head over to Brooklyn. Absolutely. I think uh, it's very interesting. Rachel just kind of does whatever she wants, you know, whether it's mainstream or (laughs) fringe or or big, huge, large productions or off the beaten path. And I love that. She's just just. March into her own drum. That's awesome. Yep. Michael Moore talks of inviting Trump to the terms of my surrender. <laughs> yeah, James, uh, as we talked about earlier this week, Michael Moore began rehearsals for his Broadway debut play, The Terms of My Surrender. Um, and yesterday they released some 
I guess, some video B-roll of the first day of school, so to speak. Um, it features some comments from Michael Mayer, who is directing, as well as Michael Moore. They were both really excited about this and both talked about how this is something they discussed before. Apparently, Michael Moore had done something similar in London. Um, and then it kind of fell you know, off to the back burner over the last few years. But then after last fall's election, Michael Moore immediately called Michael Mayer and said, yeah, we need to do this. This is the right time. Um, Michael Moore was very excited, very much geeked up about this opportunity and, and kind of in awe of all the people that were a part of this big production. And to be honest with yeah, I, I don't know if his eyes are normally this glassy, but it looked like Michael Moore, while he was talking to the press, uh, was tearing up a little bit. But the most important part of this whole thing is said uh, that Michael Moore talked to the Schubert organization and they have agreed to allow him to keep one of the boxes open for President Trump or any member of his family for every performance in case they want to come. They are invited. He's going to send a very nice official um, uh, you know, cordial invitation, inviting them to the show. Um, James, I have a feeling that there is a better chance that um, I am going to be the next Glenda on Broadway than Trump will ever come see this. But I guess, you know, with the news that's going on, who knows what the hell's going to happen? Did I not instruct that box five is to be kept empty? <laughs> are you are you equating the Phantom of the Opera to our president? No, but I think that if Michael Moore were to uh, send an email to Don Jr. saying that he's got some news about Hillary Clinton, maybe they'll all show up. What do you think? Well, I mean, at least at least him, Manafort, and Kushner. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Don't forget that uh, Danny's going to join us at the end to talk about Aladdin. And uh, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt, And subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Wednesday with us. As Matt mentioned, it is hump day. And uh, it's all downhill oh, from hey. here. <laughs> so uh, Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. Now we are joined by uh, a friend of mine, somebody who has more uh, different credits to his name than you can shake a stick at, as uh, Danny Durrani. And am I pronouncing that correctly? Because we only talk on Twitter. I don't really know how to pronounce your your last name properly. Hundred percent correct. <laughs> Perfect. He is, um, amongst many other things, he is a a publicist and crisis manager to the stars. He's also got an Emmy Award, which I want to get the story about uh, uh, eventually. He is based out in Los Angeles. Um, but Danny, the reason we wanted to talk to you is because you do have a, a fairly particular perspective on this Aladdin story that we're talking about. So first off, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Director Guy Ritchie are, are having problems finding either Middle Eastern or Indian actors and actresses to play the lead roles in their live action Aladdin adaptation. Um, and you seem to think that that's not just because there's not talented people of those ethnic backgrounds who could do the roles, but you think that there might be something to do with the property itself that's turning some people away. I mean, I'm not going to call racism, you know, I am. I, I don't think that's fair uh, to say such a thing. Um, but I think there, 
you know, there you, you have a culture that prides itself in celebrating life that is all about having a great time, you know, celebrating dance, celebrating art, celebrating music, whatever, acting, whatever it may be. And, and we've, and not that many people are aware, you know, we don't, we don't really, I, I guess uh, Arab Americans don't really wear, you know, their, uh, their country on their sleeve. I think, you know, when people think Lebanese, oh, Danny Thomas, you know, and, and then there's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Selma Hayek, but she really identifies herself more as Mexican, uh, just, you know, despite her Arabic name. Uh, but really, it's something that it's not obvious to a lot of people who may be and who may not be. And it's not even a Lebanese thing. It's just an, it's a, it's a Middle Eastern issue. You know, it doesn't have to be someone from there. It could be, you know, Palestinian. It can be, you know, someone from Jordan, uh, wherever it is, Um, you know, Iran. We need to find who these people are, you know, and maybe it's a new discovery and, 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 really work around them it's i mean it's a whole big project i mean it's a it's a it's an issue especially with this story that it's actually been in my family for a long time uh my cousin uh don bustani who uh you know who's worked in the industry for decades upon decades his best friend was actually casey Kasem, and they led I, i can't think of the organization that they belong to but you know they led a crusade when Aladdin the film came out and I know I didn't see it. I was too you know old to, you know, I was 20 something years old. So obviously it wasn't catering to me, but you know, in the movie, which I've seen obviously since then you watch the movie and, and, you know, there's, you know, there's some negative connotations of, you know, here the, you know, the angry Arabs, you know, with their knives in their mouths, you know, they're ready to go out and kill. And, and it's just a, a negative depiction. I mean, and you have someone like Casey Kasem, you know, who is a Lebanese man, uh, you know, he refused for years, you know, he was doing, you know, he's, I mean, everyone knows the, all the voiceovers that he did through Scooby-Doo, Batman, what have you. He refused to do any kind of, voiceover if it involved and i think it was for scooby-doo he's like i'm not going to do any more of this if you go out and you know keep my people and or just the arabic people and and make them look like terrorists all the time uh and and they changed they never did that ever again and during the time of aladdin you know that was the same thing you know they the two of them said look at these how you're treating you know arabs in this movie and that and they essentially let a boycott about it. I mean, obviously, you know, they're, you know, they made their point across and the movie made a gajillion dollars, but you know, it's, it's been an issue for, you know, quite a long time. And and if I'm correct and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because you probably know better than me. I don't know if anybody of Middle Eastern descent was even in the Broadway production. <laughs> so I don't know, it, but it's, I mean, I think it's a big problem. Yeah, I think the 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 principles, at least in the original uh, company, I believe, were both Hispanic. Um, so they were yeah. brown, but they were not uh, Middle Eastern. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Do you think that this, you know, now that they're moving to a, a live action uh, film of this, and this is obviously decades after that initial film was released, do you think that the importance of finding Middle Eastern talent of what, you know, whatever – nationality that ends up being do you think it has an even more important purpose now than it maybe did back when the film was originally released in the 90s i mean i think as far as we've come as a country uh you know it's not 
you know, it's, I think we're way past the stage of Mickey Rooney at Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, we're, I mean, obviously every, you know, people of, of different races, colors, and creeds are talented in their own right. But if you're going to make a story, you know, that's going to be based on people of a certain ethnicity, you should go the route of finding that person that's going to make the most sense. And I think finding whether, you know, finding a Middle Eastern uh, man or woman to fill the roles of some of a storyline that is predominantly of that era, I think makes the most sense. Uh, I think not just to save face, but it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. You know, we, we keep seeing, you know, TV shows, you know, like fresh off the boat and you find the cast complaining about that and more, you know, or even whether it's, you know, Hawaii Five-0 regarding, you know, pay scales and, and so forth. These are, these, this is a serious problem that no matter where we are, uh, what, what, you know, what time of year, as far as, you know, where we are as, as, as far as civility is concerned, whether it was, it's now or a hundred years ago, I mean, these are big issues that need to be addressed. And if you can't find one person out of you can't tell me that there's someone, let's say, I mean, granted, they're not, they don't have the caliber. I'm just throwing it out there of like a Matt Damon or, uh, you know, someone who is amazing sure. talent, Amy Adams, you know, you're not going to find, you know, well-known household Middle Eastern names, but what's the harm in finding that, you know, where you see, you know, I know it's Disney and Disney has to have the name to it, you know, uh, these that, that are household names that go on and, 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 I mean, someone that you're familiar with that, hey, I want to go see this. I want to see Amy Adams as my princess or uh, whoever, whoever it is. But the bigger issue is, you know, I know that she's also <laughs> not of Middle Eastern descent or whoever, <laughs> you know, whoever. I mean, it's obvious. You know, I don't I'm not going to see, you know, I don't want to see, um, you know, a, 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 you know, it, it, you, you want to find someone who fits the bill. You know, I mean, they don't have to have the background story, but at least get someone who resembles the part and they don't have to add a ton of makeup or, or you know, find someone that's talented. And, and it's out there. I mean, there there are, you know, Arab Americans out there that can make this happen for sure. Uh, you know, we we can flash back to 1991 where Jonathan Price uh, took on the role of the engineer in Miss Saigon uh, mm-hmm. and talk about um, – this seems to be an issue where uh, two steps forward, one step back, says Bruce Springsteen <laughs> every yeah. now and then. Um, and uh, and you listen to uh, – I, I happen to listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, I listen to a lot of uh, performers of color that say, you, you know, I, I never got – I, I never get brought in for the leading man or leading lady. I, I get brought in for the thug. I get brought in for the the, mm-hmm. the villain, the criminal, the, the this, mm-hmm. the that. It, it's astounding. It's you know, you can. You, the funny thing is, is that I'll go and, and I have friends, you know, people who I work with and, and that are represented, or people that are just friends of mine. And you can go on their IMDb uh, pages. Mm. I won't. There's one person who I won't name, but. Uh, you know, I went on his IMDb page once when I, when I many, I forget how long ago it was. And you can see when he's first starting and he's of Middle Eastern descent. And you can see when he's first starting, you know, cab driver, cab driver, you know, uh, somebody else named Abdul. Um, you know, it's our clerk. It's right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And you just, you're going, 
you I mean you shake your head at it. I mean I mean of course these are important, you know, these are rules that are important. That's great, but you know, it's also it's a huge stereotype, you know. I mean not all Arabs are cab drivers. We know all own 7-Elevens and you know, <laughs> convenience stores. We, you know, some of them, some of us are, you know, congressmen and and governors and you know, actors and doctors and every and everything else. But you know, it's it's a uh, it, it it is. I mean, you're I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it's these things still do happen. I mean, look at all the leading men that we even have today. I mean, they're it's still. I mean. The hashtag Oscar so wide is there for a reason. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's the way it is. And especially in, in our community, in the in the theater community, that's why shows like Hamilton are are important beyond the actual content of the show itself. But it is giving representation to actors and actresses of color who don't get brought in for the leads of shows uh, very often. And also uh, last night, Tuesday night, when we we're recording, um, that's that's why it's important that Okarite Anadawan was, you know, following in uh, Josh Groban's footsteps to replace him as Pierre Natasha Pierre the Great Comet of 1812 opposite Danae Benton, two African-American actors playing Russians in a Broadway musical. That's a big deal. And, and it those roles, by all intents and purposes, they're going to be white people historically, but it makes a big deal when you're actually getting to see people in color, people of color in roles um, that are more than just those cab drivers or the gang members that you mentioned earlier. And that's what I, you know, that's one of the things I, and I mean, not that Broadway is perfect or the theater community is perfect, but I oh, do. No, no, no. But, but you know, and, and they do it more, you know, they respect it more. You know, you're going to find an African American in a lead role. You're going to find a, uh, you know, Hispanic in a lead role, whether it's, you know, Broadway, whether it's off Broadway, what, regardless of where it is. And that's where I think it's an example of that we can learn from as a whole, whether it's, you know, motion pictures, whether it's television. I think, you know, TV wise, I think we've come a long way, although, but there's still, you know, there's still some, you know, there's still some stereotypes that are out there and there's still some issues that are obvious there. But I think you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, important stories to tell, we shouldn't, the bottom line is we shouldn't be having a storyline that says Disney is finding trouble finding its Aladdin. I mean, that should not even, that should not even be a topic for discussion. That, that, that's, I, I think as an Arab American myself, that, I mean, that not just infuriates me, but it's, it's insulting. It's insulting to an entire community that I, I, you know, it, and I think it's a bigger issue of other people not getting, you know, credible jobs or, or, or bigger leads. This is an overall issue that need, that has been, I, I think people have been vocal about, you know, for a, clearly almost 30 years at least. And definitely in my family, for sure. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Disney and Guy Ritchie – uh, do eventually do with this when it uh, when they do finally announce casting and uh, we'll be interested to see if these are people that are fairly familiar to moviegoers or if they are completely new folks uh, that are kind of given their first big break in this. So, Danny, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk to us today and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks. Okay.